God often glorifies himself in us, not so much on the mountaintop, but actually in the valley. See, it's in the valley that, I don't know about you, but I pray really hard in the valley. And on the mountaintops of life, it can be just too easy to forget who brought us there. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, I pray that amongst this group here today, God, that we would be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Father, I pray that You would move and that You would move in power in this gathering today. Holy Spirit, as we yield ourselves to You, as we lay everything on the altar, would You speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls today? Lord, for the one who is not truly committed to You, God, I pray today will will be that day. Lord, help us to understand that this world has nothing to offer us. Nothing. But You have everything to offer us. So I pray that You would illuminate your written word to us today. Father, I plead with you, I, I just beg you to, to move and, and move in such power in my heart and in our hearts today that, God, I pray that we will never be the same again. So, Father, we I just pray that you would keep us from the enemy. Keep us from his lies and devices and schemes. And help us, O oh Lord, by your power, by your spirit, by your enabling, that we will be all in for the one who took our place, whose name is King Jesus. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross, and that I pray that all that we will see and hear is you. God, I pray that your still, small voice will be deafening today. Don't allow us to disobey. Don't allow us to walk in rebellion. But give us courage. Give us boldness to stand in the gap. Even if none go with us, give us courage to lay everything on the line for the cause of the gospel. Holy Spirit, create in us right now fertile soil in our hearts. Not stony soil. Give us soft, tender, pliable, flexible hearts. Don't allow us to be stiff-necked 
But joyfully, I pray, we would gladly receive the implanted Word. Oh, Father, You move. You do the work only You can do right now. Holy Spirit, take over. Just take over. And we'll be quick to give You all of the praise and give You all of the glory. For worthy is the Lamb that suffered and bled and died. Worthy is the Lamb that was tortured and executed in my place. Worthy is the Lamb that was placed in that grave. Praise be to our great God and Savior. Worthy is the Lamb who on the third day He ran out of that grave. Oh, Father, we worship You today. We extol You. We bow before You. May You be worshipped and glorified today like no other time. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 as we are studying through this book of 1 Peter. I pray you have a copy of the sermon notes there and just ask that you would join us in a glorious time of, of studying deeply in God's Word. And so, as we look at God's Word together right now and we think about these truths, the, the sermon titles you'll see there in your notes is simply this, Waging War Against the War. Waging War Against the War. I don't know if you know this, but uh, we live in a culture today that has a few challenges, amen? And we live in a country today that has a few challenges, uh, there is a lot of wars being fought, if you will. Not on a battlefield that we might think of, but uh, there's a lot of wars going on, and so many of the wars that are going on are internal wars. Someone once said that if you win the war inside of you, you will win the war outside of you. We call it the battlefield of the mind for a reason. I was thinking about this this morning at 3.15 in the morning, I probably should have called a few of you to see how you were doing. This thought occurred to me that the more I think about a problem, the bigger the problem becomes. And the more I just give it to Jesus and just surrender it to Jesus and just say, Jesus, just going to be faithful, going to be obedient, and whatever you decide to do with the consequences and the results, I'm good with that answer. We must begin to really think about this war that's going on, not outside of us, but inside of us. Here Peter addresses this topic in 1 Peter chapter 2. So I want us right now, church, just to lean in together. I pray you have your Bible open, I pray you have your pen and your notes, and let's just ask the Lord just to speak, just to just to move in our hearts and to stir. And as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, as the Word's going forth, I want you to write these things down, make those notes, and just begin to press in. Because right now, as, as truth goes forth, the, the enemy hates it, right? He hates it. 
And so we're just going to dial in here to God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to appeal to just not our intellect, but to appeal to our heart, to grab our minds and to grab our hearts as we take this biblical doctrine and drive it deep into the bedrocks of our souls. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He uses a word. He says, Beloved, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to do something, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What do they do? Which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I don't know about you, but I serve the great God of the Bible who is not dead, but He is fully alive. Amen? I mean, do you believe that today? We serve the God. I don't care what's going on in our culture, what Hollywood's saying, what Washington's saying. We don't answer to Hollywood and Washington. We answer to King Jesus. And we serve the risen Savior. We serve the risen Savior that today He can take you from death to life. He can take you from the grip of sin to the power of who He is. He can take you from darkness beyond measure, and He can bring you into His marvelous light. This is what our great God is the master of doing. He's all about redemption. That's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, the whole point of the gospel is that God is not this mean guy with a a shepherd's robe and a staff who's like beating people over the head trying to make their life miserable. No, he, he gives us doctrine, he gives us truth because he knows this, that, that his ways are infinitely better than our ways. That whatever we think is good, whatever we think is right, is nothing compared to the rightness and holiness of God. There's that old phrase that sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you far longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will require a price far greater than you ever were willing to pay. There is just something about walking in truth, walking in light. And my prayer today is that everyone here in this gathering has given their life to Christ. It's real. It's true. Because there's nothing greater. You can get the job you've always wanted. You can marry the spouse you've always wanted. You can move to the location you've always wanted, drive the car you've always wanted. You could have the retirement account you've always wanted. But all of that without Christ amounts to nothing. But having none of that and only having Jesus is everything. Peter knows this. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter rebuked Jesus. Who has that on their resume? Amen? Peter, first one out of the boat, first one to chop off ears. 
And yet God took Peter's mess and created a glorious message showing how God can take someone who's self-absorbed and through humility and contrition and brokenness can now take that life and use it as a beacon of hope, as a lighthouse for the ships of life that are sinking. And Peter's imploring the reader here. He's imploring these persecuted Christians and he's saying, look, I want to make sure you understand something. I want to make sure you understand that I love you is what he's saying. That first word out of the gate, he says, beloved. It's affection. It's dear. There's, there's tenderness there. There's a nearness. And you've got to remember this. This is so important. So, so Peter's writing to those that are persecuted. And maybe, by the way, that's you here today. Maybe you are the light in your family. Like you're it. Tag, you're it. You're the light. And perhaps those siblings, perhaps your parents... Perhaps your extended family. They've never truly given their life to Jesus. And as you live that life of light, darkness hates light. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling and and you're going through the heartache and the pain and the rejection. This word that Peter's writing to those then is for you and I here today. Oh, it's relevant to me and you today that whatever pain you're dealing with and the trauma and the hurt of your past, our God through Jesus Christ, through His royal righteous blood, is greater than any pain that you're going through, have gone through, or will go through. His grace is deeper still. And He says, Beloved, I urge you, He's saying this, I beg you with an intensity to hear me is what he's saying. Beloved, I I urge you, I beg you with an intensity to listen up. I beg you with a passion is what he's saying. You know what I find interesting? When someone says something with passion... Typically, it's coming from a heart that has experienced the passion. I mean, when someone's passionate about something, maybe you're passionate about something, a hobby, a sport, you're passionate about it. You don't typically have to talk yourself up to get passionate, do you? No, it's just an outflow. It's an outflow. Just, I mean, what's happened to you, what you like to do. And boy, your, your eyes light up, your voice escalates, your body language intensifies. That's the whole point here of the gospel. That when the gospel comes into someone's life, that that person now has been freed from the dominion of sin forever. There now is a passion in this. That in the midst of adversity, you still press on, don't you? See, Peter is begging them. He says, I urge you as sojourners, as pilgrims, as exiles. Have you ever thought about that? For you today, 
that are a true believer in Christ, that you've given your life to Christ, your life is no longer your own. You are a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You're an exile in this world. This world is not your home. Just passing through, and we have a a finite period of time. Listen closely. There's a finite period of time. You may live to be 100 years old, and that's old in this life, but do you realize this? That is nothing. I mean nothing in the scope of eternity. Nothing. It doesn't even register. It's so finite. But we all have a finite period of time. Every one of us do. And what we do with that finite period of time is up to us. Will we use it for self? Will we use it to please the flesh? Or will we use it for what matters most? Will we use it for what the the longing of the heart is so pursuing in its peace and contentment and security and identity? It's all these things as humans that we crave for and we long for. And Jesus says, hey, I'm over here. (laughs) I'm right here. I'm right here. Meanwhile, we dabble over here and over there, and we're trying to find anything to dull the pain and fill the void of life. Peter right here, so beautifully, so beautifully, says, look, I urge you, I plead with you. You're sojourners in the world, not of it. Keep pressing on, but I need you to understand something. He says, I need you to abstain Keep yourself from the fleshly lust that war against the soul. Now, this is very important, church. He's not referring just to sexual sin. The fleshly lust that war against the soul are the whole totality of the nature of sin. We think of the word lust and we typically deduct from human reasoning that that means just something of the sexual nature. It can but I want you to make a note of this. Lust means this, to have unbridled desire. So this lust, when you look at this in the Scriptures, is an unbridled desire for anything that's not of the Lord. See, Peter's imploring them. He's saying, look, I know you're persecuted, and, and when we're going through struggles, that's typically when we're the most vulnerable. Have you noticed that? When we're struggling... Many times, again, we're just looking for something to take the edge off. We begin to self-medicate with poor relationships. could be some form of addiction. Fill in the blank. We begin to medicate with this because why? We're hurting. We're going through a struggle. Peter's like, look, time out, time out. He's like, I know you're going through hard times, but make sure you keep focused on the reason you are being persecuted, and his name's Jesus. I was marinated on that thought and just thinking through that, and it began to really crystallize in my mind. When you think about this waging war in that verse, abstain from the passions of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the allure, the the being charmed is what that means, seduced. Again, we often think of seduction as just something sexual, but that's so, so not the case. We can be seduced into any sin. Remember back in the day when I was growing up, there were these cartoons on TV and there would be a tree and there would be a branch and 
you know, there would be one character out on the branch, and then there typically was like a snake, right? Interesting, a snake of all things. And, and the snake would come over to the other character and begin to, what, hypnotize, begin to charm, begin to seduce as the eyes of the victim were spinning, right? Just spinning. Drink the Kool-Aid, right? Drink the Kool-Aid. Boy, it's so easy, isn't it? We let our guard down. We get out from under the Word of God. We don't submit to the Word of God. We don't see value in it. Why should I read the Bible? Why would I want to pray? And what happens is we begin to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the abyss. We were talking in our class this morning and about the good news. The good news of the Gospel. And in order for there to be good news, there has to be some really bad news. And the bad news is this, that, that for those who do not give their lives to Christ, that it's not real and it's not true, that that person's going to perish for all eternity. Warning, warning, there's danger ahead. The bridge is out. That's the whole point of the Gospel. The Gospel is not some lucky charms version of Christianity that you know, we just kind of sprinkle on our cereal to you know, make our life go better. The whole point of the Gospel is to be transformed as we renew our minds, that we become this new creation in Christ, and now we go out on a mission to, to share with a, a hungry, thirsty, chaotic, deceived world that, hey, look, you know what? We've been right where you are. We've been set free. We're no longer walking in darkness. We're walking in light. Hey, won't you come join us? It's great over here. That's the whole point of the Gospel. To set us free. Peter's saying, look, you've been set free, so I'm going to urge you, I'm going to plead with you, I'm going to beg you. Abstain from all the fleshly things that are pressing in about you. You're persecuted. You're very vulnerable. It's real easy just to kind of, well, okay, wait a minute, I'm hurting, so let me grab onto this to, to hopefully medicate my pain. And Jesus is like, it will never satisfy. Sin never satisfies. All it does is create more heartache. Peter's like, don't go down this road because these fleshly lusts are warring against your soul. Just think about this for a minute, church. So the sin that so easily ensnares us and deceives us is actually creating a military expedition against our soul. Now just picture that. The sin that doesn't seem that bad. Everyone else is doing it. Not going to hurt anybody. Is actually the very sin that's warring against our own souls. Like it's destroying us from the inside out. One small compromise. Always, always leads to another. Peter's like, stay away from it. Guardrails, 
everywhere. Abstain, abstain. Because if you don't, you're going to lose the war. Question for me and you today, are are we, am I, are we waging war against the war that's internally going on within our souls? We never stumble into holiness. Like you never just wake up one day and go, man, this is amazing, this holiness thing. How did I get here? It, It takes an intentional assault to go to war against this. And here's what I've learned in my own life and with others in ministry is if you want it more than they do, they'll never want it. That, that's why you plead with people through the power of the Holy Spirit that He would illuminate, that He would open the eyes of the blind, that He would unclog the ears of the spiritually deaf. As I was processing that, I wrote down a key number one. I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one. A key component in being unified is to fervently wage war against the sin that so easily ensnares us both personally and corporately, comma, and to do so by abstaining from the allure of sin. Key number one, write this down. A key component in being unified is to fervently wage war against the sin that so easily ensnares us, both personally and corporately, and to do so by abstaining from the allure of sin. This was a very interesting quote that I came across, and I believe you could take the word church and substitute the word home in here. Here's what was once said. The church always reaps collectively what we sow personally. The church always reaps collectively what we sow personally. The home always reaps collectively what we sow personally. There's no such thing as consequences that are singular. Consequences of disobedience and rebellion and being stiff-necked towards God and His Word and His glory are always corporate in nature. Always. We see it all through Scripture. Just because one of the kids of Israel sinned, God typically didn't punish just the one person. He let out His fury on a whole bunch of people. You say, well, how do, we, how do we wage this war? Give me something to sink my teeth into. I want you to write down Hebrews chapter 12. Write this down. This is a mission-critical passage. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Look what the Word of God says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, think about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, preceding chapter, let us, in other words, it means this, do this. Let us do this. Also, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do this? Here's the key right here, these three words. Looking to who, church? Jesus. 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you see this? We're to cast off all the sin that so easily ensnares us, to not play patty cake with it, to not rationalize it, uh, to not just sit it on the corner of the desk and kind of keep it there you know, in case we ever need it, not to put it in a cage and then take it out of the cage and begin to pet it later. No, we're to literally take all sin, take it out in the street and beat it to death. Take it down to the city incinerator and burn it. Because I know how I am. If I just take it out in the backyard and bury it, at some point, I'll probably go out there with a flashlight in the middle of the night and try to dig it up again. Now, we are to run this race. It's a race that's a marathon and not a sprint. And we run it looking to Jesus. We're just looking to Christ. Put spiritual blinders on. And as the attacks come from all different sides, just keep focused on Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Salvation, salvation, salvation. Just keep pressing on for His glory. You think through that thought, and it reminds me of back in the day when we were training to build up arm strength to throw a ball. And we had this crazy idea so why don't we take some of those ankle weights that you have Velcro around and why don't we just slap those on our wrists and then let's throw this ball. I mean, an ingenious idea. We had no idea that we were going to have like rotator cuff issues. Sounded good at the time. It was amazing though. Man, we'd put these five pound weights on there and we'd begin to throw a ball with the weight on. Boy, it was hard at first. But then we got more used to it. But then something happened. We took the Velcro and we untied it. And then we began to throw the ball. You can imagine what happened, right? Woo! That thing was sailing, wasn't it? It was humming. See, we, we took off everything that was holding us back. We took everything that was hindering us, that was not helping us, even though maybe we thought it was helping us at first. But we took it off, and so many people are just walking around in life, and, and they think all this stuff that they're doing is helping them on their journey, but it's actually hindering them. And Jesus says, well, why don't you just take all that off? Walking in disobedience, Jesus says, is not going to make your life better. It's going to make your life more complicated. It's almost like standing in a hole with a shovel while you dig the hole that you're standing in. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And Peter's saying, look, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you. Abstain from this. Don't, don't allow any hint of it in your life. It's, it's going to war against you. You may not think it right now, God's not striking you with lightning bolts, so deductively we go, well, He must be okay with this. Wrong. He's actually, through gracious passivity, is saying, okay, I'm going to be a little more patient here. 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Peter's imploring. Peter's walked with Christ. He's seen the Messiah face to face. The light bulb has now gone on. And he's determined to live for the King all his days. And what a powerful reminder from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. How about Romans chapter 8? Write this down. Romans 8, in case you're wondering about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and walk in the flesh. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 5 through 11. Look what Paul writes here now in this glorious book here. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. This is very important. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, capital S, set their minds on things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind, very important phrase, to, to mislock the mind on the flesh is death. But to mislock, to set the mind on the spirit is life and, this is so important, and what church? And peace. Did you catch this? Let me read this one more time. Because I know there are people right here in this room, you may say you have life, but I guarantee you there are a bunch of people in this room going, I need peace. Like, I'm craving peace. Let me read this one more time. Right here it is. It's so beautiful. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And if you're looking for peace today, it's only found in one place. And it's through the Prince of Peace, King Jesus. When we have peace with God will now have the peace of God. So many people don't have the peace of God because they've never made peace with Him. You have to make peace with God. How do you do that? You give your life to Christ. He's the mediator. He's the one who stood in your stead. He's the good shepherd that as He propitiates the wrath of God, He appeases the wrath of God through His royal righteous blood as He atones for sin. It's only through the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of Romans 5, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So if you're here today and you're living in sin, here's what you're doing. You actually are going to war against God. If you're living in sin today that's not repented of, you're going to war against God. Now, I know right now, again, because lightning bolts aren't flying out of the sky, we somehow deduct, well, I'm, I'm great. I hate to be in your shoes because there's going to come a day where you will give an account and God will hold you accountable. Hostile to God going to war against God. For it does not submit to God's law. There's that submission. See, we live in a culture where rebellion is not only endorsed, it's championed. 
They used to be rebellious. <laughs> don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your employer. Just do whatever you want. And all we're doing is we're storing up more wrath for the day to come. Paul goes on and says this to warn us. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you catch that? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is what? Dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Wow. See, church, this key number one is so important. A key component in your home, your church, your business, your ball team in being unified is to fervently wage war against the sin that so easily ensnares us both personally and corporately and to do so by abstaining from the allure of sin. If you are openly living in sin, it can destroy your whole family. But here's the beauty. If it's confessed and repented of, there can be freedom. There can be a testimony. There can be just glorious restoration and reconciliation. But you've got to step into the light. And Peter's saying, look, you're being persecuted. Don't, don't be tempted to go do sinful things to, to just take the edge off. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It, it may pacify for a moment, but it's, it's going to create a lot more chaos in your life. He says, stay focused on the mission. And that's why in verse 12, he now says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, this is so mission critical. I don't know if we truly understand, and I will confess there's moments that I miss this as well, but we have to preach to ourselves that our pain has purpose. Our pain has purpose. God often glorifies Himself in us not so much on the mountaintop, but actually in the valley. See, it's in the valley that, I don't know about you, but I pray really hard in the valley. And on the mountaintops of life, it can be just too easy to forget who brought us there. And before we know it, we're, we're just floating through life, and it's kind of like, well, well, the view's amazing up here. Good grief. And we totally miss who's brought us to the mountain. But when we're in the valley... And we're on our back. And the tears will not stop. It's amazing how He has our attention. Don't waste your pain. 
Just don't do it. Because God's working. These momentary light afflictions are working out an eternal weight of glory in all these things. In them. Not apart from them. In them, we are more than conquerors. In them. Like like in the midst of your suffering today, in the midst of my suffering today, God's still working. It's in these things that we have hyper-victory. Not apart from these things. It's in them. That's the mission-critical point on why we must embrace this. Because this verse 12 says this again, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep it. Hold it fast. Guard it. Protect it. Tenaciously. I want to protect with integrity this conduct, this behavior of how I act from my profession. I profess Christ. Is there fruit that gives evidence of this profession? Do I live a life that really shows my life is no longer my own? Does it show it without any doubt that, that I've surrendered all to Christ? And no matter what happens to me, it's okay because I'm in the arms of Jesus. When we do this, it's so critical because we are actually a walking billboard for those all around us, especially for those who speak evil against us. I don't know if you know this, but, but truth and lies do not mix well. The devil, the diabolos, it's where we get our English word diabolical. Uh, Satan, the accuser, the slanderer, he only has one tool in his tool belt. It's called the lie. And so his aim is to bring deceit into situations, especially those that are pursuing the Lord. So think about what he's going to do if someone's telling truth and proclaiming truth. He's going to do everything he can to stifle the truth so that he can gain more ground and a foothold in that arena. That's the whole point of being under the Word of God, submitting to the Word of God, saying, I want to be under it and I want to joyfully just do whatever I need to do to obey it and surrender to it because it's for my good. It's for God's glory. And so often what you see happen here is the enemy and his minions begin to slander. What is slander? Well, it's what this verse says here. It reads like this. So that when they speak against you as evildoers... Now, this is very important, church, because here's the deal. If you are professing that you're all in for Jesus and you're actually living a life that proves you're all in for Jesus, you will be slandered against and there's no way to get around this. There's no way to get around it. It's par for the course. What does it mean to slander? It means this, to speak evil of someone for the purpose of defaming their character. So when someone speaks truth and the enemy goes, wait a minute, I can't have that going forth. Because the truth is going forth, they may give their lives to Christ. 
I need to somehow attack that person for what they're saying. Let me stir up my minions over here to cause problems, and let's try to take that person down. That's how this works. I know people right now that uh, they're in a family situation where they're the only light of the gospel. In their own family, their own flesh and blood, their own flesh and blood are lying about them. All while those people, all while those people profess Jesus, as they now lie about the people who are actually telling the truth. This is the deceitfulness of sin. It's so important that we understand this, that when Peter says these words, so that when they speak evil against you. He didn't say if they do. When. Just when they do. It's part of it. This is part of what we sign up for, for being a true follower of Jesus. You say, well, how do we know this? Where do we go from this? How do I wage war against the war? What do I do? Well, keep this in mind. Look at the last part of this verse. This is very important. Don't don't miss this. Look at the last part in your Bible. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, this is so cool. This is amazing. How many of you today, by show of hands, believe that God has the power to save and rescue? Yeah, amen. I believe it too. I believe it. I I believe that that the most vilest sinful person can turn to King Jesus and say, I repent. I I repent of my sin and and I give my life to you. I, I believe that Christ and His blood have the power to save. I believe it and rescue. When we live a life of honor in the midst of slander, It's a billboard to those who are slandering us of who owns us. And the prayer is, in the midst of all that, that somehow the Holy Spirit will work in that situation and begin to soften their heart the stony, rebellious, defiant heart that He will begin to soften as the prayer. That He will begin to remove the blinders and the scales. That He will begin to unclog the ears spiritually. And prayerfully, that person who is acting like a Saul by the power of King Jesus, will become a Paul. Amen? That someone who is living for the enemy and on the enemy's payroll, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will see our good conduct, our excellent conduct in the midst of slander and evil and false accusation. And prayerfully, they will see it, church. And they will give their lives to Christ. And they will glorify God on that day of visitation. 
on that day of either blessing for the true believer or judgment and condemnation for the one who's rejected Christ. What an opportunity it is for us, for me, that when people say things about us that aren't true, that A, we continue proclaiming the truth, but B, we do so with an honorable conduct that prayerfully they will give glory to God and turn their lives over to King Jesus. That's why key number two says it like this. Write this down. When we live with biblical honorable conduct, we can have a God-glorifying impact even on those who hate us. Key number two, write it down. When we live with biblical honorable conduct, we can have a God-glorifying impact even on those who hate us. Write down Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12 to support this. Matthew chapter 5, 11 through 12. Listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are you when, not if, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I don't know about you. Let me pause here for a moment. But like when I'm getting slandered, my first reaction is not to go have a party. But that's what Jesus commands me to do. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. Does that not encourage you today? I pray it does. For you that are out there and you're living for Jesus, it's like everywhere you turn, it's rejection and slander and lies, and you feel like just throwing in the towel. I pray right there from God's holy living word that encourages you today. Press on and not lose heart. Because I think 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll get to these verses in the coming weeks, verses 14 through 17 says it really well. And look what 1 Peter chapter 3, 14-17 says. But even if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience. Why? So that when you are slandered, not if you are slandered, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Wow, wow. Are we waging war against the war? Are you waging war right now? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and your mind and your soul? Are you waging war? 
Are you winning the war inside of you and therefore you will finally win the war outside of you? Or are you fighting the war outside of you and you can't seem to figure out why the war inside of you is never getting accomplished? I was thinking through those thoughts and I came up with this takeaway question. Here it is. Am I waging war against my own internal war? Am I waging war against my own internal war? One of the challenges of life is we are on this quest to be happy. I hear this often. Well, I'm not happy. Okay, what does that even mean? See, the challenge from a biblical perspective, and that's why it's so important to be submitting to God's Word, is this. God's not concerned with my happiness. God's concerned with my holiness. And as I pursue holiness, I will finally find biblical happiness. It's all an outflow. Everything's an outflow of union with Christ. Are you winning the happy war inside of you? Which really is, are you winning the holy war inside of you? That's why the action step is so important. And here it is. I will seek to develop unity in my home and in my church by moving away from myself and running towards God. Write this down, action step. I will seek to develop unity in my home and in my church by moving away from myself and running towards God. You know, what's interesting is that churches are comprised of homes. I call them many churches. And the many churches that are together Monday through Saturday, then a bunch of the many churches decide to gather together corporately on a Sunday, and they all come together. The challenge is that if the many churches, the homes, are dysfunctional and diseased, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday morning when they all gather together? Do you think that's magically just going to go poof? <laughs> Gone? That's not how it works. That's why it's so important. This is so critical. That we get back to God's Word. That we get back to fervent prayer. That we get back to holiness. And, and as we lead in our homes, dads, moms, that we are those leaders. It's our responsibility. As a dad, it's my responsibility to train my children. It's no one else's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's my responsibility. I own it. Now, I haven't always done a very good job of it. But it's my responsibility. A.W. Tozer said it like this, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. End quote. Wow. Every man, every woman is as close to God as they want to be. And it's amazing again how when life is just kind of carefree, we're just kind of like, eh, it's not really that big a deal. We'll just float through life. But when a crisis hits, oh boy, here we go. It's amazing how God has our attention. Why do you want to risk waiting for a crisis to hit for you to get your life right with God? 
why don't you get it straightened out today? Like, why do you want to wait until maybe you're laying in a hospital bed? Why do you want to wait until you go through a financial crisis? Like, why would anyone in their right mind play Russian roulette with their spiritual condition? I think Jeremiah gives us the answer to that. And he says these words in Jeremiah 8, 4-7. through Listen closely. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course, like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle doves and swallow and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people, says the Lord, know not the rules of the Lord. So many times in prideful rebellion, we go, what have I done? And we should be with broken contrition just saying, Lord, 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 what have I done? Lord, what was I thinking? Please forgive me. Please encourage me and enable me to repent and confess and, and never walk this way again. Lord, what have I done? Oh, Lord, how could I sin against You? How could I defame Your name? Imagine what the Lord will do in blessing upon that home that has that humility. Imagine what the Lord's going to do on that church that has that humility and contrition. See, church, we don't need more of the world. We need more of the Word. We don't need more of the world. We'll never win the world by becoming more like the world. Why does one cesspool want to jump back into another cesspool? We don't need more of the world. We need more of the Word. And that's why in my own life, something that I've made a note of, and it seems like this, when my Bible is open, so is my heart. When my Bible's closed, so is my heart. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Are you walking in obedience? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you abstaining from the fleshly lusts that are actually destroying and killing your soul? Oh, I pray today that as the Holy Spirit moves even right now across this room, I pray the Holy Spirit right now will grab hold 
of hearts and minds and souls. Because we got one shot at this. I'm talking one shot. And when I and you step into eternity, there aren't any do-overs. I'm one shot. I don't know about you, but I, in, in the midst of my brokenness and all of my struggles, and there are many, I want to live all my days for King Jesus. Are you waging war against the war? If you're not, you're getting decimated. And many times, people are getting decimated and they don't even know it. I pray the Lord will move in my heart and yours today as we surrender all to Him. Father, we come before You. And Lord, as we just ponder these words, as we meditate on these truths, Lord, my heart is so heavy. It's so heavy as I read those words from Jeremiah. Your people, your people were in perpetual backsliding. Your people were prideful. What have I done? Your people were rebellious. Your people were stiff-necked and hard-hearted. So Father, I pray that for me, for us, Lord, don't allow us to walk in those same avenues, Lord. Help us to be different. Help us to be true Christ followers. There is good news called the Gospel. But there's good news because there's really bad news. And for those who never give their life to Christ, that's what, what that word means, believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes, whosoever commits their life to Him, it's action, it's not passive. It's not just intellectual. Even the demons believe, and they even tremble. Now when the Bible talks about belief, it's not talking about walking an aisle and getting baptized. It's talking about a wholesale surrender. Total commitment. Dropping the nets and leaving the boats on the shore. So Father, I pray, maybe there's one here, maybe several that have never truly given their life to Christ. It's all external, but there hasn't been any transformation. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't manufacture this, nor do we want to. But Holy Spirit, we know you can. We know you can get in there. That stony heart right now. That darkened heart right now. Would you get in there, Holy Spirit? only you can just move move in power don't allow that person to be under the grip of sin and satan any longer open their eyes right now give them courage to repent so father i pray i pray today will be the day 
restore homes, restore marriages, restore relationships. Set the captives free, oh God. Just do the work right now in this time. Don't allow us to surrender some any longer. But I pray today, from this moment forward, we will surrender all. Oh Father, move and move in power. Don't allow us to disobey. Do the work only You can do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.